We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on Ace Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. We've got part one of our post-game conversation with Roden Rodenberg that'll be on Sundays this year, but because of the Labor Day weekend, we record it on Monday. And we're also splitting it into two parts this year. That's an advertising thing with MPW. I don't make the rules around here. I just take orders. So we, for the first 45 minutes, talked, of course, a lot about the game yesterday, quarterback play, what we thought of the defense and potential issues on the back end there. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy it. But once we get done with part two, just flip on up in the feed. If you're listening on the MPW feed over to part two, where we wrap up the conversation with some more old Miss thoughts. So just wanted to make sure that the uh, instructions were clear there. Before we get to Weldon, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Spire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also provides prides themselves with the best customer service in the in-home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low-call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama region. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. So if you're signing up for internet right now just for listening to this podcast, you get your first month free just by typing in that promo code RIPPY. Check them out, Cspire, customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit will sleep eight comfortably. It's gated. It offers amenities such as tennis courts a spa, a pool, and it's right there less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus off of Old Taylor Road. Please go take advantage of this deal. The Vandy football weekend is still available. Everything else football weekend is booked up, but Vandy football weekend is still available. And then, of course, any other time, Thanksgiving holidays, maybe coming up for basketball games this year. Go ahead and book your stay at rentthesipoxford.com, right there off Old Taylor Road. Bracken Ray, great guy, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. It can be tough to find a place to stay on busy weekends in Oxford. Maybe you don't want to deal with the hotel and get a more at-home feeling environment. This is exactly what you're getting in rentthesipoxford.com. Check out their Turnberry unit today. Go online to rentthesipoxford.com and check availabilities. And then when you check out, use the promo code RIPPYWRITES for 100 bucks off any two-night minimum. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com, a great place to stay, a tremendous location that you should take advantage of today. All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg on Ole Miss's season opening win over Mercer. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss football recruiting staffer, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. It is our first post-game show of the year coming at you on a uh, Monday morning as it is Labor Day weekend. Ole Miss rolls through Mercer 73-7. to We'll talk about what you can and can't take away from this game, but uh, it was good to have football back. It felt like a normal fall weekend again. Um, and not a ton of great games, but uh, some entertaining ones, if nothing else. 
Uh, there was definitely some interesting stories from a, a slate that was pretty uh, unimpressive, to say the least, for a week one. Um, and, you know, it's different doing this on a Monday morning. I've got my coffee and having to put my thoughts together after, you know, watching the Saturday games and then watching whatever the hell happened last night. Yeah, good uh, So there's a, there's a lot to talk about despite, like I said, some pretty mediocre matchups, but there's some stuff you can take away from that, even if the score line is is what it is for most of these SEC teams. Yeah, and I guess we'll just start from there. Obviously, Ole Miss just absolutely destroys Mercer. A lot of guys played. Um, I thought a lot of guys played well for Ole Miss. Kiffin was seemed to be his general theme after the game, where he said once or twice, "Like I'm not really into the coach speak. I really did think we played well today, and that a lot of guys played well today. I thought Jackson Dart was very sharp." Aside from a little snafu to start the game defensively, <laughs> they kind of shored things up after that. I guess we'll start on the offensive side of the football. Giffen's doing the whole not naming a starter publicly thing, quote-unquote, leaving competition open. I think we both knew where this was headed and how this was going to turn out. I guess you could say it worked. Jackson Dart looked much sharper, much better, and a lot more, uh, I say a lot more motivated. Just looked like a better version of himself would be the best way to put it. He was pretty sharp on Saturday. Yeah, he was just very composed. I mean, for when they scored on what their first four drives, five drives, if it wasn't yeah. for a fumble, they would have scored on every drive in the first half that he was playing. Um, you know, he was just reading the deep. Now, of course, he's not exactly under a lot of pressure from the Mercer defense. And I think that we should. He's under next to no pressure is one of the things yeah. I noticed very quickly. Yeah. So everything we say, you know, you can put a little bit of a grain of salt with it. Um, but no, I mean, he was accurate with the ball, he was accurate downfield with the ball. Um, you know, he made the right reads. I think they clearly had a pretty big emphasis on letting him kind of air it out and get his feet under him to start this season and get some confidence. Um, but I mean, you do what you do successfully and you're going to get some credit for it. And I think he deserves a lot of that. Um, there's still going to be the questions probably coming tomorrow or today. I don't know if they're doing, uh, whatever you call it, uh, on Mondays, kind of like a press conference or whatnot because it's Labor Day, but I'm sure they are. Um, yeah, and- he's got the Monday presser, I think, at 1 o'clock. Um, I didn't think anything too earth-shattering would come of that, but we'll see. Well, I mean, no, I don't think so either, and I'm sure that he will do the same thing that he oh, has 100%. been by not naming a starter, which is, you know, it is what it is at this point. You kind of expect it. Um, but no, I mean, the offense looked really good. The defense, yeah, one snafu that I actually woke up to after a little mid-morning nap after hunting and had like nine text messages saying this team was going to be awful, terrible. I didn't even see the play. I had to go back and rewind and be like, well, what on earth happened? Um, but after that, they were pretty stingy. Um, and we'll talk about a little bit uh, of some pros and cons on both sides of the ball. But it's, I mean, it's hard to be disappointed. They did their job. They went out there. Uh, a lot of players got to play a lot of snaps, and there was absolutely you know no real issues. One of the things with Dart that I noticed, and I went back and watched the first three quarters of the game again this morning before we did the podcast, was you know whatever you can take away from it being the opponent and how well he played and how well he threw the football down the field. The one thing, unless I missed a play, there wasn't the oh, man, that could have been awful. What was the decision-making there? Like, whether it was a pick or an almost interception or he just threw into something that was completely covered up and you thought, my God, what is he doing there? Sort of like that right before halftime interception against Georgia Tech is one that comes to mind. He mm-hmm. A lot of times, I felt like at least once a game last year, he, he had one of those, and I don't remember him having one on Saturday. Now, the uh, resisting the urge to continue to do that is going to get a lot tougher as the competition steepens, but there was not that on Saturday, and I guess you could take that with the grain of salt as, you know, potentially a sign of growth. No, absolutely. I think there was, like, one throw in, like, the second quarter where you threw, like, a corner route to the end zone in the red zone, and, like, there was no one there. It could have been intentional grounding, and, you know, I think even he was like, I don't even know what happened there. But besides that one, like, weird throw – I mean, he was pretty on. I mean, he was, what, 10 of 10 for four touchdowns at one point, uh, which says a lot about Mercer as well. But, uh, no, I mean, I think he was just really, really composed. You know, he went through all of his reads. I mean, you see the first guy wasn't open. He was coming back to, like, the backside curl, which is how Trey Harris got, like, three of his four touchdowns. Um, so, no, it was it was a really good showing from him. And I think that that's huge going into next week, especially with this whole – name not name starting quarterback deal that I think we're going to continue to deal with just him going out there and playing confidently is what exactly what you need to see 
Uh, Trey Harris on pace to be the greatest wide receiver in Ole Miss history. Uh, all jokes aside, having three touchdowns in the first like three minutes of the game and four total, uh, I guess that'll hunt. You mentioned Dart uh, hitting him three times or at least a couple of times on those backside curls after the first initial read wasn't there. You know, jokes about averaging four touchdowns a game aside, he certainly looked the part. Uh, and I listened to his press conference after the game on Saturday. Seems like a mature kid. Kiffin mentioned something about having a little bit of Jonathan Mingo to him in the sense that he just kind of shows up and gets his work done. Doesn't say a whole lot, but you know, he's one of the hardest working people in the building. He looked really impressive. He looked the part. He looked like the potential and a dominant number one receiver that Ole Miss really hasn't had under Kiffin since Elijah Moore. Last time I said that, though, I did get a little blowback about it wasn't Mingo. Mingo is health-related. He just didn't stay on the field consistently enough for me to qualify him as that. Really had nothing to do with his abilities. But anyway, back to Trey Harris. He certainly yeah. looked the part on Saturday. I mean, yes, he did look the part. I mean, he was just a complete physical mismatch for those Mercer DBs, which, uh, I mean, that's what you want to see when you have the advantage, you know, exploit it. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of Malik Heath-ish. Uh, I think he's probably got a little bit more twitch than Malik, but maybe not like the athleticism necessarily, which is hard to tell after one game, of course, but they, they kind of remind me of each other. And look, I know Malik Heath like didn't have the best career at Mississippi state, but like that kid coming out of high school, coming out of Juco and what he showed at Ole Miss last year. Oh, by the way, he just made the 53 for the Packers. Like that's not a, a I saw that. That was awesome. Here. Yeah, it's not a knock on Trey Harris. Malik Heath is like a real deal receiver. Um, and I think they just remind me of each other by body types, kind of the way they run their routes, strong hands. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what comes up next week. Uh, but I think Kiffin giving him a lot of praise is, is twofold. One, it's because that's the kind of players that he really likes. The guys, you know, they talk about pro mindset, the guys that show up to work, not a lot of drama, you know, get their shit done. And by the way, he was hurt during spring. And he has come back from that injury, gotten physically ready to go, and is there. And believe me, he's seen guys who have gotten hurt and not shown up uh, these past two years. There's been two certain guys, including one who was a big NIL target this year in Franklin, who are not out there playing because they're hurt. So I think, you know, he's just trying to make an example of certain situations, but he's going to praise you when you deserve it. And he's going to be on you when you don't. Um, so Trey Harris, I mean, it's hard to complain with the first day, but. Uh, you know, there's there's still a long way to go with this. I think they had 13 or 14 guys catch passes, which uh, I wouldn't expect that to continue. But we saw some of the guys that you've been wondering for, on some cases, multiple years, where were they? Like Braylon Brown caught a pass. Hudson Wolf got in the mix, but the poor kid caught a pass and then got hurt coming down after he made ridiculous to the sideline. Absolutely line. heartbreaking. Yeah, it's just gutting to see. I don't know. Did we know what the injury was? I, I don't remember anyone updating that after the fact, I, but I did see him go off to the sideline and looked hurt after he made that catch. Yeah, I don't think we heard anything, but just you could just see his his left arm just kind of like dangling, which is usually like some sort of rotator cuff collarbone deal. I mean, what a catch, too. I mean, goes up on a defender, and then, man, he just came down wrong. It, that is absolutely heartbreaking. It really is for a kid that's battled a lot just to get to that point and just to have to have it happen that fast on a play like that just really, really Boy. sucks. But point being is, you know, Jaywin Knox, uh, the ghosted Jaywin Knox actually caught a couple passes. He was out there on the field for 24 whole snaps. So we, I guess that we can throw that mystery away. That mystery is solved. He does exist. He is yep. real. Uh, he He's wears here. number 27. So, <laughs> two years into this, we finally cracked the case. Uh, J.J. Henry was out there. There was just Braylon Brown. A lot of guys that you thought, hmm, do they have potential? Can they actually become a regularly contributing SEC wide receiver? You saw a lot of that, and then you saw it obviously mixed in with the Trey Harris, Aiden William newcomers of the world. And I'm interested to see what it looks like next week. How many guys can they play? How many are they comfortable playing? They did a lot of four and sometimes five wide stuff. Maybe that was having to do somewhat with the tight end situation. We'll get to that in a second. But yeah. they played a bunch of guys, and I'm very curious to see how many they actually trust when they get into a game that matters next week. It's still a pretty big question mark for me personally me because um, I know that a lot of guys played a lot of snaps, but this was kind of a non-risk game. And really for the first half, the main receivers you saw out there were like Dayton Wade, Jordan Watkins, Trey Harris, and then you know, Kyron Heath was kind of split out, and sometimes he was in that nub position on the offensive line. Uh, and then you saw Aiden Williams out there. But like 
I don't – you really didn't see Braylon Brown until, like, Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard were in the game. And you didn't see, you know, Jalen Knox and J.J. Henry until, like, the second half. So, I, I think it's still a pretty big question mark. Now, some of the guys showed up and played well when they got in there, which is not nothing. I mean, Caden Lee, the, the freshman out of Georgia, had a pretty awesome touchdown pass from Spencer Sanders in the third quarter. Um, looked like a guy who has a chance to play some snaps. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're playing who they trust. And Dayton Wade, who's a walk-on from Western Kentucky last year, is the guy that's out there starting for him first. And played and the most not, snaps any receiver, too, by the way. Right. And, I'm like, I'm not, say, like, knocking Dayton Wade. I mean, the guy's done everything you want to from a, you know, a program standpoint, and he's proved himself. But, like, you know, once you get into SEC play and he's going up against Kool-Aid and McKinnistry, that's probably not what you want out there. Um, but at the end of the day, like if they trust him and that's like all they've got, that's all they've got. Um, so I think they've got some time. I think Aiden Williams showed a lot of flashes of what people have been expecting from him. Um, and then I guess the wild card is, you know, when is Franklin going to be healthy? And I don't know anything about that situation. Me neither. But I'm not overly positive on it. Um, just from, you know, straight up tone and vibes. I guess I'm not very confident on him like playing a pretty big factor in this team for like at least the first half of the season. And I could be totally wrong, but uh, I think we kind of know where this one's going. I generally get the same, same consensus opinion there too, just simply because again, and I don't really know hardly anything about that particular nothing. injury situation, Absolutely what it nothing. is, but normally when things like that happen, and there's an injury situation that's a bit vague in nature. And then the target date to where you thought he might get on the field, that comes and goes. That generally turns into something that lingers for a long, long portion of the season. I've seen similar situations play out that countless times. So we just kind of get the sense that, you know, if they get him back in two weeks, then great. That, that would, to me would be a bonus. But like I would think from a fan's perspective and expectations for him, I wouldn't place a, too much stock in the Franklin department for at least the first half of the season, just because we don't, I mean, hell, we don't know anything. And that's, that's kind of where I sit. And so with regard to the route receivers, you're right. There's a difference. I named all those guys who played and the guys we saw, and there was very distinct differences in when we saw them and what we actually saw. And to your point, like we saw Aiden Williams out there when the game, not, not in doubt, but the first team was playing and they were still rolling and they were still going through their top end dress rehearsal for the lack of a better phrase. And it was a lot of Williams, Watkins, Wade and Heath being split out. That seemed to be kind of mostly what they were going with. There was a little bit of Jalen Knox, if I remember in the first half, but not a ton. And then the other guys kind of came in after. And as I guess my question is, is like going into next week, how confident are you, the collective you out there in the fact that it's Williams, Watkins, Harrison, Wade as your four wide receivers. Is that enough to be a prolific passing offense? I don't know the answer to it. I thought we saw some good things, particularly from the top two guys we hadn't seen before in Williams and Harris on Saturday. But I think you'll know a hell of a lot more after four quarters next week. Right, because, I mean, not only are you playing like a team that's absolutely much better than Mercer, but you're playing in 230 heat in New Orleans, and you're going to be playing a lot more competitive snaps. Um, I mean – a ton more despite what TV is trying to take away from college football. So you're going to have to rotate no matter what. I mean, it will not be those guys playing 65 snaps. Like that's just not realistic this early in the season with what's going to happen next Saturday. You're going to have to find some trust in some of these younger guys or some of these older guys that are trying to work their way in the rotation. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is. Like it is a, I'm not even saying it's a problem because I don't necessarily think it's a problem, but it's definitely a question mark going up against better teams, um, and look, they all performed. It's not like like they were so bad. It's like you're concerned about the guys that were out there. But a lot of these guys are, repl are replacement-level receivers um, at most programs, um, not Trey Harris. I wouldn't even put Jordan Watkins in that position. But, like, yeah, Dayton Wade, Jalen Knox, at this point, Braylon Brown. Like, those guys have not, you know, done anything to make you think they're more than what they've shown you. And my rule of thumb is, you know, when people tell you who they are, and I don't even mean that in like a off the field issue or whatever. I'm talking about like just as a football player. Been, as a football player, you should believe them. Um, you know, especially at the receiver position where if you're good enough, you're going to be playing as a freshman. And when you're not playing as a freshman, there's a reason whether it's you're just not athletic enough, you can't catch the ball well enough, or you don't know the plays well enough. There's always one. Um, I'm not panicking on the situation yet because I think the guys they've been playing like are fully capable, 
But the way this offense runs with the speed it runs, you saw it last year at the end of the season. I mean, these guys were gassed. There's got to be some guys step up. Um, and next week's going to show that a lot. 2021, it became a problem. Like, I remember toward the end of that Auburn game when Drumming got hurt, they were playing guys that, one, I had to go look at the roster and be like, who is who is that? And they just couldn't function offensively and didn't really have much of a downfield passing threat. Corral was hurt in that game. But point being, they were that was when the receiver depth issue became so bad that it was, it was clearly a glaring problem. Uh, I don't know, if, like you said, that'll be the case this year. I'm just, again, it's still a question mark for me more so than an issue. And the flip side of it, if you want to transition to the tight end piece of it, is like the best version of this team with a healthy Caden Prescorn who is not uh, dressed out for this game. He appeared to be in a boot on the sideline. Uh, we had reported on Thursday that he, or excuse me, on Wednesday that he was going to have surgery to clean up something minor in his foot. He's going to miss three games and aim to be back by the Alabama game. That was disputed elsewhere. And then what do you know? He's in a boot. Um, I don't know if there's still, can you decipher surgery? It's like decide on surgery after the fact. Who knows? Anyway, I'm just a guy uh, who got a lucky tip. But anyway, not going to go there any further. Point being, he was not out there. Michael Trigg was not dressed out for the first half. I think that was an in-house, I say in-house, I don't know how it'd be an external suspension, a suspension that was not disclosed because Kiffin doesn't really do that, whatever his prerogative. Then he comes back out in the second half and plays, and he scored a touchdown late in that game, did he not? I can't remember if he scored or caught a pass. He caught like four or five balls. I don't know if he scored, though. He put, uh, but played a decent bit remember. in the second half, and I don't know what necessarily to make of that you know that we kind of heard similar rumblings last year he did not score a touchdown he caught three passes but anyway yeah. point being he's out there Kyron Heath was forced into the tight end role because I didn't even thought about Hudson Wolf but when they announced Kyron Heath as the starter assuming that Trigg wasn't dressed out my first thought was like well who else would it be like is there who else just literally on the roster and then I remembered it was Hudson Wolf but things yeah. were pretty bare there but Hudson Wolf Looked for the short time we saw him, man, that was a hell of a play he made before he unfortunately got hurt. Again, who knows what the injury is. But if you can get Prescorn back and you can get something out of Michael Trigg and just just say for whatever sake Hudson Wolf does play again this season, that that's pretty gnarly tight end room that they can use in a lot of different ways and kind of supplement maybe some question marks they have at receiver. No, I mean, we've talked all offseason about, you know, the strength of this tight end room, how it's been remade compared to the last two years under Kiffin, that they really needed playmakers, not only in the passing game, but to be able to be an extra blocker. And that position went from stacked to one. Completely depleted and instantly. In a half of football. Um, and it, I mean, it's a, it's a big issue. Um, now I will say that Kyron Heath uh played admirably. I thought I he thought was, he played really well too. I thought he played really well. Um, he looks a little bit bigger. Um, he definitely doesn't look like Prescorn does. Um, he honestly doesn't look like Hudson Wolf does, but those are two like pretty outlandishly large human beings. Uh, but he was more than serviceable and I thought he ran great routes, he caught the ball with confidence. Uh, blocking was fine. Again, it's Mercer. It's not the guys who even play next week or the week after that. So, but it is what it is. You can only do what you can do against the competition that's in front of you. Uh, but he's going to have to be playing a lot of snaps now because I like, as I do in anything, when they football player tells you who they are, you listen to them. And Trig, as of so far through his entire college career, is unreliable. So as of right now, you have one tight end on your roster. And I mean, I'm sure there's a walk on somewhere. I don't know, but they ain't playing him. I can promise you that this guy's going to be playing 60, 70 snaps against Tulane next week if Trigg is unavailable. So he's got to prove a lot. Um, it was a good first showcase of him playing real snaps, um, but it's definitely, definitely going to have to get fixed by Alabama. Yeah, because the the Wolf injury, it just it happened in a very weird part of the game. He ended up playing the next play. Then he goes off to the sideline. He gets hurt. And I don't think like there was a ton of discussion around it. But given the pre-scored injury and, you know, Triggs' unreliability, that was a pretty big injury. Because to your point, going into next week, if Hudson Wolf isn't available, you literally just have one guy in Trigg and whatever that's going to end up looking like. That's you're you're eating into your depth pretty quickly until priest corn can get back and then all of a sudden i think you feel a ton better about the tight end room but there's some intriguing options there a lot of guys on the offensive line played so if i have it correctly i think the first starting unit on the offensive line was kern warren we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. James, and then on the other side, I can't remember if it was, I think it was was or yeah, no, no. I thought it was, it was Kern McGee Warren. McGee. Kern McGee Warren um James Pettis was actually the starters, I believe. That exactly what it was. I had that messed up. Played a lot of offensive linemen in this game. There was some Reese McIntyre in there as well, either at guard or center. I couldn't tell for parts of that game. But they played a lot of different guys early on in the game. And I guess I'm not overly surprised, but I was just a mildly Mildly surprised to see the two tackles not be who I just assumed they were in Williams and Pettis running out there for the first series. Yeah, it was definitely pretty interesting. I'm not going to, you know, take too much out of it uh, because, I mean, they talked about Kern being able to play multiple different positions. And, you know, in a game like this, especially in a team where, you know, like I said, they play very fast, you're probably not playing your five offensive linemen for every single snap of a football game. So they're rotating out to see what they've got and to see where people can mix and match, you know, appropriately. Um, but yeah, Jaden Williams not starting at left tackle was pretty was pretty surprising to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take too much out of it. I think it's really a positive that you've got guys that you know played pretty damn well last year that are able to rotate in this year and play different spots. Um, but you know, they've been trying to build depth at that position last year. They definitely did not have it this year. They seem pretty confident in at least seven guys to go out there and play for them and, you know, know what they're doing, know their roles and play well. Um, I thought they were fine uh, this past weekend. I thought pass blocking was a little bit better than last year. Um, like I said, and I will say it's every positive thing I say, it was Mercer. <laughs> this is very different. Um, I will say that like they didn't exactly dominate in the run game, um, though I don't think Ole Miss was actually like you know smashing the ball down Mercer's throat for good reason because that would be pretty boring and you would get six yards to carry. So who cares? Um, so there was a little bit of concern there about being able to move the line of scrimmage, but I thought they all played fine. I think they're all going to play roles moving forward. I do too. And to your like to your point, that I mean that's a good thing as far as depth. Because if I just wrote it down, assuming we have the starters right now, we got to double check that in a second. Guys who did not start, Eli Acker played a decent bit of football for Ole Miss. That's not exactly a guy you throw in and go, oh my God, how do we survive with him? The two tackles, Williams and Pettis. I was trial by fire with both of them last year. Um, but three guys that have played a bunch of football. And then Reese McIntyre, not necessarily in the exact same category as those guys, but not necessarily a, you know red shirt freshman version of Sean Rawlings being having to play for Tunso and Tuscaloosa, something like that. There's some experience with those guys. 
and some depth. And again, the plan was probably to play a lot of guys. I don't think it's overly surprising that Victor Kern was the team starting left tackle to open the uh, to open the year. But it was just interesting how often they rotated them out. Maybe that's something they're going to try to do more of is because they run a bunch of tempo. And it can only be a good thing if you got eight or nine guys that had played foot, a bunch of football before and been in the trenches and having his options. Because, I mean, as you know better than anybody, making it through the whole season with the same five offensive linemen, you have to be pretty damn fortunate for that to happen. There's probably going to be some injuries at some point. No, absolutely. And this is basically a dress rehearsal. So the ability to get like real physical snaps against guys that aren't your own guys, it's like a meaningful snap against a, a team, you know, you're going to beat for all these guys to play different positions uh, on the offensive line and seeing who works best, you know, where are they going to run the ball more? Are they going to go or be a more left-handed rush team or right-handed rush team? Are they going to be able to play more outside or more inside zone? Um, it's just tape stuff. That's all it is for, for this game uh, to get ready for the next few weeks. So you just kind of see what your best five are. And I know you've been looking at that all spring and all fall, but to be able to do it in an actual game setting where, you know, shit actually matters is huge. And they've done that and they've tried this experiment um, or whatever you want to call it. And it doesn't have to be an experiment. These could be the absolute starters and that's who they thought were the starters going into this game. Uh, but it is what it is. I, I think it's a positive. I think there's still work to be done on this offensive line, but it was a pretty solid showing overall. And just to clean that up there, because I had it written down completely wrong. It was Kern. It was McGee at left guard. Yeah. Right. James and Pettis did start. I don't know why. That's what I thought. It's okay. Yeah. You just, you just said it incorrectly. That's fine. Yeah. I, I don't know why in the hell I would have had. Uh, McGee slided at right tackle, but point being, that's it was Pettis, but yeah. whatever. But then the guy behind him, nothing of what we said so far. <laughs> <laughs> but the, and then another guy that came in and played a decent bit is said Melton behind him, which is another guy that's played a decent bit of football as well. So they have some options there. They played a bunch of guys, and you know we'll see. Hard to take a lot from that. You mentioned if they'd just run it at six yards of carry, they probably could have done that. It'll put unnecessary tread on. Um, Quinchon Judkins, and also it's just been really boring because I think they could have done that every play and not really done a whole hell of a lot else. They were able to escape putting a bunch of unnecessary tread, at least for one game on Quinchon Judkins, which I think is going to be something interesting to monitor going forward. I believe he ended up with somewhere in the neighborhood of 12, 13 carries right around like 60, 70 yards. They weren't obviously going to do a ton with him and care. Uh, hit him over and over and over again the first game of the year. But I do think it's something to monitor because behind him, it's Bentley and then whatever Jam Griffin can become. And the depth is not quite the same as it was there last year when you had both him and, of course, Zach Evans as a two-headed monster back there. So that is going to be something to monitor just how much, how long can they get away with not having to go to Judkins for 25 carries a game. Yeah, I mean, it'll, we'll know next week on how they're going to use him because that's going to be – I mean, I'll say it over and over again. It's going to be a tough game. Um, but, no, they did not need to rush him for 35 times this game. Uh, that was completely unnecessary. Um, and, no, the depth is not – you know, the depth is there by guys who they want to play because, um, of course, Bentley got hurt last year, so they really only had two guys. Um, but a healthy Bentley is a, a perfectly serviceable backup running back. I mean, I know there was a holding call on Aiden Williams, but that – outside run that Bentley had where he took a jump cut and then went for, you know, 15, 20 yards. I mean, he's explosive. I mean, he really, really is when he's fully healthy. Um, Jam Griffin is a perfectly serviceable guy to get five to seven carries a game. Um, and then we didn't see Riscano. And I know he's gotten a, a decent amount of hype throughout the fall camp. Uh, but look, he's a freshman. And unless you are absolutely dominant as a freshman, especially at that position in this league, it's going to be tough to get snaps and reliability. Um, I will say that Bentley fumbling the ball, that is just an absolute no-no. I mean, I can, you just you fucking can't do it against Mercer. You are going to lose carries immediately. Um, so hopefully he gets that fixed. And that was like not a hard strip by the other guy either. Um, and look, Zach Evans had issues with fumbles last year. It basically may have cost him the Alabama game. So I know there's some PTSD on that side of the ball. Um, and Kevin Smith's going to absolutely be talking about that all week going into Tulane. And I, I know it seems like nothing because the game was 73 to seven, but that is just an absolutely huge mistake um, that might cost him some carries, to be honest. But he looked good on everything besides that. And I think you're going to see a lot more backs out of the backfield catching the ball next week. 
They kind of showed a little bit of it. I know we talk about it every week. These guys aren't necessarily going to be lining up in the slot, but they're definitely throwing the ball to him. You saw Judkins once or twice with, with Bentley. So it's not necessarily the the talent that they had in the backfield last year, but I think they've got three guys who they are pretty confident in right now. We'll get back to Weldon in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorable punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up at any occasion, especially if you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar or hosting friends at home twisted tea is there to elevate your game day experience it perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments so let's toast to an unforgettable game day experience twisted tea the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football keep it twisted Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Can't wait to see the week one college football results from Skybox. Hope you hopped on that and took advantage of it. You can go online today, skyboxsportspicks.com. Check out a picks package in your price range, whether it's college, NFL, still crushing it on Skybox NASCAR. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Whatever you want to do, I recommend going with the year-long all-access pass. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They'll email you you, your picks in a color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Use the promo code RIPPE, R-I-P-P-E-E, for 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Hopefully you threw something from LB's on the grill this weekend and enjoyed watching Ole Miss win its first game of the season. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you signed up. And then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of sausages. I like the tri-tips. The filet burgers are delicious. Go find your own favorites at LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. Yeah, and, uh, Bentley's a guy that we never really got to see what he was last year. He got hurt too quickly and clearly was not 100% when he came back. I remember whatever the first game he came back from the injury was, he did not look right at all. I think he was out there because they needed him to be but did not because that was right around the time Zach Evans kind of started getting a little banged up. But you're right. There is some explosive nature to him that you saw in that run, particularly the one that got uh, called back. And we're just, again, I'm I'm interested to see kind of what he is as a player. I remember him being pitched as a pass catching option, who was a pretty good and explosive runner as well. And we, again, we just never saw a lot of that last year. And I'm curious next week that you mentioned, like, do you see a lot more pass catchers out of the backfield and things like that? Now that they have that option there, it's going to be something interesting to monitor going forward. I yeah, thought he's kind of a piece of had, uh, He's had injury questions too. I mean, he was injured at SMU before he transferred, got injured last year. So, I mean, he's not exactly Mr. Reliable uh, to this point in his career, but I think he definitely provides decent depth. Toward the end of the game, they played Matt Jones, the uh, proud MIS Jackson Prep, Jackson Academy, or excuse me, Jackson Prep uh, yeah. MIS. Uh, alum who scored at the end to cover against the uh, against Vanderbilt last year. Sure <laughs> oh, that game. But I'm curious, like it was interesting to me that a guy like Matt Jones did get 11 snaps, but you did not see Riscano. I don't know what the deal is. Again, fresh, true freshman. I don't know if there's anything to make of it at all, but I just figure at the end of the game, like you may give it uh, the true freshman a look, but that didn't happen. I thought that was interesting. Well, Matt Jones, um, I mean, I remember him from recruiting. He was a guy that was kind of like, you know, down the list. But he had legitimate D1 offers coming out of Kyle. I think he had a Texas State offer from Peeler while he was there. He may have even had like a few like Southeastern and some Northwestern State and some stuff. So he wasn't nothing. He ended up walking on at Ole Miss instead of taking some of those offers. So, I mean, he's a, he's a real player. I mean, he is a he's a small running back, but he's pretty thick. Um, you know, and clearly they've been impressed with what he's done there for the past two or three years as a walk on. So probably more of a uh, kind of a not a, a congratulations to him and kind of a hey, you've worked your ass off. You get to go in at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess you're a little shocked not to see Riscano based off of things we've heard. But I think that they're kind of doing a little bit of seniority in that room at this moment. Flipping over defensively again, it was uh, 
one snap in, it was uh, fire Pete Golding. Uh, I think Kiffin actually even made a joke. He said he went over the headset and said, you know, Pete, we paid a lot of money for you. And, uh, you know, that that's not going to cut it. And apparently uh, Golding said something to the effect of, don't worry, coach, they won't score again. And that proved to be prophetic. They did not score again and again. It was just one busted play. It was one where they faked like a jet sweep one way. And it looked like, again, I'm a novice from a football schematic sense, but it looked like whoever on that left side was responsible for taking the quarterback, if it was not the jet sweep, either got jammed up or something, because that fellow was not touched the entire way. He went 70-something yards completely untouched the end zone, and it was not a great start, but you could tell it was just some some wild bust that was turned out to, of course, be an anomaly. almost did not have much trouble the rest of the day. No, it, I mean, it was fine. Um, I listened to the post-game show when Chase was interviewing Jeffrey, and I don't want to regurgitate exactly what Jeffrey said, but it's pretty hard not to because he was kind of absolutely spot on. Uh, there were times in this game, and I'm just going to completely take out the first play of the game because, you know, that was just an anomaly, like you mentioned, uh, where the back end of this defense looked pretty slow. Um, and it was like when you're watching other teams play, like especially like Alabama and Florida State and LSU last night and A&M, um, those guys looked just incredibly explosive. And Ole Miss did not. That being said, like Jeffrey said, a lot of defense uh, in terms of success is effort and knowing what to do. And it's probably pretty hard to get up for Mercer to do that. Uh, but it was not nothing. I mean, they definitely were still kind of had that bend, don't break mentality. Uh, I think they were, you know, kind of getting out there, making sure to limit explosive plays. You know, they're playing pretty soft coverage. But uh, it's definitely something to look into for next week because you're playing a legit quarterback next week. And, you know, are they going to be playing tighter to the line of scrimmage? Are they going to be rushing the passer a little bit differently? Are they going to be blitzing more, you know? what's Perkins's role um, compared to this week to next week. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, sounding the alarms on this defense by any means because it's Mercer. They probably weren't exactly going explosive effort. This is the first game in a brand new scheme where it's all live and you know, it's game time, but it's something to monitor because just looking at some of the safeties coming in for run fits, I mean, they weren't, they were absolutely in the right spots but not exactly exuding a lot of physical physical confidence um, from watching the game for four quarters. And they played a lot of guys, which I think is a good thing. They have confidence, and there's a lot of guys that you're going to have to play compared to some of the past years where A.J. Finley was playing 75 snaps a game because they had no one else to put back there. Um, so it, it's definitely something to monitor. It's not a you know flashing sign of concern, uh, but it's not nothing either, in my opinion. And what did you make of any like this, how it looked schematic wise? I thought it was interesting. I'm trying to keep up with it in real time without having the kind of football schematic pedigree as someone who worked in a building. But I thought it was just interesting, like a lot of three down. But then there would be times where you'd have the backers that are seemingly the pseudo outside edge defensive end guys. And there'd be times where there was a three down and only one. And they would kind of drop the other two linebackers in the more traditional linebacker spots. It seemed like they used Cedric Johnson in a lot of different ways. He was dropping back into what appeared to be some zone coverages at least seemingly had some coverage responsibility they moved um Perkins around a decent bit I just thought they did a lot of different things I don't know what to make of it at all I'm just curious what you thought of what it actually looked like for the first time schematically I thought it looked pretty good I I mean Cedric Johnson was playing that kind of you know on the line sometimes in that four eye or outside you know nine spots you know he dropped a few times based on what the running back was doing they're kind of playing him in that you know typical jack role the will anderson-esque the um you know think anderson ryan anderson or whoever the anderson brother that played old miss for a while under mcintyre they kind of had him and sam williams in that kind of role where he's kind of moving all over the place um playing that you know three four linebacker spot i thought you know it was a pretty vanilla overall you didn't see a lot of exotics until like third downs which i mean maybe that's just the defensive scheme i'm not going to sit here and you know explain everything because that would be silly and I don't know everything so it would be a little dumb but uh I thought it looked fine I thought it looked you know I thought they were able to rotate guys in I thought it made a lot more sense rushing four um and I still have a lot of questions about this team especially at safety and honestly at pass rusher uh but 
you know, it is what it is. It's the first game. And I think they're kind of getting their feet under them to understand everything. I will say assignment wise with, of course, the exception of the first play, pretty spot on. Not a lot of plays where you were like, oh, shit. No, you know, what happened there? Backer? Where's the safety? Where's the corner? Um, so that was good. But like I said, there was a little bit of man, like sometimes the team speed doesn't look exactly up to snuff. Um, but that might just be because it's Mercer. Well, I think some of that is fair because a guy like Ladarius Tennyson, who was at your nickel spot, moved to linebacker for parts of camp. I don't remember off the top of my head how he was used. I probably should go back and watch. Not many snaps. Yeah. And and, and so like the team speed thing, I thought it was a smart point when Jeffrey made it too. And it seemed to kind of track going back and watching it the second time. On a positive note, one thing that I did notice is they looked – bigger to me up front on the defensive line and it looked like they had a lot more guys they could trust and play like i mean uh xavian harris at times really popped he looked like a guy that could be a very very disruptive interior force josh harris behind him was a big dude i didn't necessarily know what to make of how he played but uh yeah and i think this the number zero just makes him look bigger i have a weird theory (laughs) with that one the single digit but the single zero guy you just look bigger but i mean there were times where they were rotating in and out where it'd be Xavier Harris, Ivy, Pegese, the Aquilo Stone kid came in and played a lot too. And behind them would be Jamon Gordon, who for better or worse has played a lot of a lot of football. Isaac Ukwu and Reginald Hughes got in the mix as well. They played a lot of guys, and I don't think that's something where it was just a Mercer thing. I do think they actually feel like they can and will rotate a lot more guys in and out, which is something they desperately needed last year and didn't have. It appears they have more of that, so at least through one game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the guys in the interior performed incredibly well. I mean, Xavier Harris is how they're supposed to look. He's a guy that when you watch Alabama play, you're like, oh, yeah, here's that next 6'6", almost 300-pound guy that's like ripping through offensive linemen. You know, that's a guy that Ole Miss has not had in a long time. Um, Josh Harris is playing the role that you expect him to play. He is going nowhere but nose, and he stopped gapping it. Um, I thought Ivy played well. I, my, like I said, my concern on the defensive line is not the depth. I think they have confidence in those guys. Not sure they have a whole lot of like upper echelon, you know, defensive ends, edge rushers, which I think is something we've talked about throughout fall and spring. Um, like who is going to get to the quarterback? Because you're not really expecting your interior defensive linemen to have, you know, 10 plus sacks a year. Um, Cedric Johnson looked good. He looked healthy. He looked explosive, but he's like the only guy I trust to be able to beat an elite offensive lineman at this point. Um, Ivy is just really not an edge rusher. He's just a straight up like athletic defensive lineman. I thought he looked good, but finding another guy, whether it's using Perkins in that Harold Perkins role where he's off the edge or Jean Baptiste is off the edge, like going more speed over size. I mean, Pete Goldie knows what he's doing. I'm not, like, judging his ability to figure it out by any means, but it's definitely something to look into for the next few weeks. I mean, that was something we talked about through camp is, like, who's kind of the Robin to Cedric Johnson from the other side from a pure pass rusher standpoint. The way you described Ivy, I think, was perfect. Was He never, from what I saw through the first half of the game, and it was similar last year even though it was a different scheme, he was never the stand-up, walk up close to the line of scrimmage almost like an edge backer type guy he was very much just the third guy on the left or right side of the three down front and that seemingly just kind of what he is as a player so the pass rusher thing is going to be interesting uh, I didn't have Reginald Hughes uh, on my radar to have played a lot um, I didn't really know it to make him I think he had a fumble recovery at one point in the game but that was a guy I was surprised to see out there as often as I did and another guy that I guess would be a candidate to fill the role we're talking about yeah and then you know, there's a lot of Monty Montgomery, a lot of Sistrunk. Gene Baptiste played a lot. I, I don't know if I feel necessarily better about the linebacker depth after one game, but it was between Perkins, Coleman, Baptiste, Montgomery, and Sistrunk. They looked okay. They looked, you know, like they have four capable linebackers on a given week. What happens yeah. if two of them go out with injuries? I don't know what's behind them, but the top end looked better. It, it, look, it looked fine. Um, Montgomery is pretty explosive. I think you, he's definitely undersized, but he's exactly what we had heard and seen at Louisville. I mean, he's got the, this team speed you need um, at that position. John baptiste is a big-ass dude. Um, he is, at least from what I saw, he is not fast. <laughs> and I think that's what their biggest concern with him was, is that he just might not have that speed. 
Uh, but he's a smart linebacker. There's a reason he's starting, a reason he's playing, because he's played a lot of football. He's in the right spots. He's doing what you need to do, which is absolutely important. Um, but I definitely have concerns about his speed um, playing out there. Sistrunk is exactly what we've seen from Sistrunk. I mean, I was paying a lot of attention to linebacker this game, so I think I've got a pretty good read on what I saw. Um, he was kind of all over the place playing both, you know, Mike and kind of that Will, whatever they're doing in that defense. Um, just a smart guy who's played a shit ton of snaps that can call your defense. You're confident that he can get the job done. Your ultimate replacement level player, which is okay. Um, and then Perkins, I mean, damn. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, damn. Uh, he is absolutely swimming in certain scenarios, but you see it and you see it immediately. Um, he is not the all-timer freak athlete that Harold Perkins is, but he is already more comfortable playing as an off-ball linebacker than Perkins has or shit we saw last night that he's become. Uh, he is just a different type of guy, and it's going to take some time. I mean, I know he had nine tackles against Mercer and, like, a sack. He was all over the place, and that's good. Uh, but I think he is going to be one hell of a football player. He is, you're going to have to eventually start giving him more snaps uh, because just how dynamic he is. He definitely missed a few fits here and there. He definitely saw a little eye candy here and there. That's to be expected with a freshman, but you see it. I mean, they just haven't had a guy like there in a long time where he's just got every tool you could want. It, it's hard to not get really, really excited about that kid, uh, but you have to kind of temper it just a little bit because that's a really, really hard uh, position to play in this league his first tackle up near the line of scrimmage where he blew by the guy and stopped the running back completely in his tracks you could tell that whoever the color commentator was was trying not to go over the top with it after one play but he kind of had the same tone in his voice too damn you can you can really see it with this kid he seemingly looks apart looks different than any guy they've had at that position that's going to be fascinating to monitor particularly over the next two weeks because they have two real opponents the next two weeks into Georgia Tech. And it's going to be interesting to see how much more responsibility they give to him as a freshman. Because I think, like you said, they're eventually just going to have to rely on him more and more because he is that dynamic. And honestly, he's better than a lot of the options they have, you know, behind and around him. No, which is, which is okay. I mean, that's what, when he came in, that's what everyone thought. They're like, okay, this guy's going to take some time, but we know what he is. I mean, everything you heard out of fall camp was, you know, yeah, swimming a little bit, but the talent is absolutely there. And eventually, at some point in time, the talent just supersedes everything. doesn't matter whether he knows what he's doing or not fully. Uh, I mean, look, if he starts missing assignments left and right, then, yeah, you cannot play him no matter what. But I don't think that that was the case at all. On Saturday, um, I think he just has to see more game time. I think he's got to, you know, experience his everything. And you can only watch so much tape to understand things. Eventually, you got to get out there and show it. And, you know, you see it in every single sport. Once a guy just shows you who he is, you just have to eventually trust him. And I think they're going to get there at some point. They're going to put everything into this kid because having a player like him out there is just going to elevate the ceiling of this defense dramatically. Um, he is going to be a really good football player. All right, if you're listening on the MPW feed, that's going to do it for part one. Just scroll up for part two. We have a couple more defensive thoughts. Talk about the handling of the quarterback situation, what the Rebels are facing in Tulane. Then take a look around the SEC. And, of course, at the end, the fastest-growing segment on American soil. It is Soccer Corner, so be sure to check that out. Just scroll up in the feed, and there you have it, part two. We'll see you in just a second.